0: There is, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed. And bleed. And bleed. What's this? Bleeding
1: Inc. A podcast for indie authors with J.S. Leonard. Hello, party people. You know, I never know how to actually start these intros. Like, should I be more um, erudite? A very upstanding writer? Kind of like... Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bleeding Inc, where we discuss writing and all of the things in literature. Uh, but I'm just too American and, and um, a little too wild. You're not from Las Vegas, right? Well, it doesn't matter. Anyways, welcome to episode 16 of Bleeding Inc, a show that aims to give authors the tools to rival the best of the best. We are a legion of crafty writers and hustling authors. Tune in every other week on iTunes or Stitcher. And for those of you who've rated the show on iTunes, thank you so much. If you haven't had a chance, go over there, click the star, take you like two minutes. It makes me so happy. I can't even describe to you how happy it makes me. Um, it also helps other people discover the show. And if you like what you're hearing, I mean, it's a great it's a great cause. Follow me on Twitter, at JSLAuthor, and visit the That's bleedingink.fm. That's bleedingin k.fm where you can sign up for giveaways and my mailing list and you can keep on getting tools, tips, and updates for all your author needs. And speaking of giveaways, Paul Jarvis has been kind enough to offer up a seat in his chimp essentials course, chimp as in MailChimp, mailing lists are the lifeblood to your outreach and book sales strategy. This is a $147 value and worth at least a hundred times that no joke. One of his students had 120 times return on investment. That means for every dollar he spent, they made $120. It's pretty good. (laughs) It'll take you from the fundamentals of MailChimp to mastering it, including some A-B testing nerdy stuff. Get in on this. Head to Bleedingink.fm to sign up. It's the first step on your road to financial independence, to selling more books, and to making all your dreams come true. Okay, it may not be that great, but it is a definite first step in that direction. So let me read some. This is a quote. I feel like I'm doing life wrong if I'm working all the time. This quote is from a writer who raked in half a million dollars while enjoying time on an island off the coast of Vancouver. His name is Paul Jarvis and he's my guest on this episode of Bleeding Ink. Take a powdered Zen master and add a half a cup of hustler, a cup of geek with a healthy pinch of weirdo and stir into this mix the finest Canadian maple syrup to concoct a Paul. Like few other content creators, he slices through the internet's deafening garble by staying true to a voice sincere and made of grade A helpfulness. You need to listen to Paul Jarvis. He's got this marketing stuff figured the hell out. Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, insert social media flavored ice cream here, make the world a teeny tiny place. They are integral to the shape of humanity's future communication, for better or worse. So new are these platforms that their strengths and weaknesses are mere wisps on faddish wins. But we do know these. They are good at connecting. They are not so good at creating sustained and intimate engagement. Acquaintances want to connect. Artists want to engage. Paul is an artist. The sole goal for his marketing endeavors is to form relationships with similar minds so they may experience inspired conversation, paradigm shifts in thought, and have a damn good time doing it. There's an underlying purity and bravado to Paul's vibe. These extend from a man who's spent more time building his character than building his livelihood. Or rather, he's taken his character and made it his livelihood. And that's the point. We must sell ourselves. We are the product. Why not invest all our energies into ourselves? Are we not our greatest asset? So Paul's big on life balance, if that quote didn't make that clear, enlists the help of tiny robots to automate many of the more mundane tasks of keeping his clients on track, encouraged and engaged with his work. Okay, maybe he doesn't actually use tiny robots, but he does leverage the automation powers of sites like MailChimp and Zapier to free him up for thoughtful work and long, long vacations. Paul has penned five books. They hit bestseller charts. How? One word at a time, one mistake after another. Paul is a hyper-learner. He thrives on jumping naked into Arctic waters to see if he can survive on his universe-given wit. He figured out the whole bestselling book thing and said, what's next? Courses were. He made a cool half-million dollars helping people grow and thrive like himself. Now Paul has a legion of dedicated followers, Uh, he wouldn't like the term follower, Let's, let's say companions, who will no doubt benefit from wherever Paul wants to take himself next. You can count me in and here's my interview with Paul Jarvis. Hello everybody, I have Paul Jarvis on the podcast today and I am very excited to welcome him. Thank you for being on the show, Paul.
0: Hey, thank you very much for having me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. So Paul, for those listeners who who may not know who you are, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Oh geez. This is always <laughs> the worst part. The, the best interview. question. <laughs> I'm I'm Paul Jarvis. I make things for people that make things, I guess is the most apt but sort of obtuse way to describe what I do because it's all over the place. I have way too many things. I write books, I make courses, I have podcasts, I do a little bit of design work and consulting still, although that was sort of my bread and butter for the last 20 years was making, um, building and designing websites for people. Some of them... um, really big authors too which is kind of cool and taught me mm. quite a bit. But yeah, now what I do is kind of all over the place. I'm also writing a SaaS app. Nice. I do a lot of things. Yeah?
1: Can you yeah. I, I'd like to actually talk about the SaaS app if you're willing. Is sure. it a secret project?
0: <laughs> no. We we're actually selling founding memberships right now so the oh. the cat the cat is out of the bag. I don't know why you would put a cat in a bag, but <laughs> That's cats
1: yeah, cats don't really fit well in the bags. No,
0: no, exactly. <laughs> but basically, the software, because I build a lot of online courses, I realized that there is no good resource for students to take notes for the courses that they make. It can either be a PDF, which is kind of sucky to create, and you ha- you're you stuck with like a little box that doesn't grow or shrink. You could use Google Docs, but that's kind of, can't really brand it, and it's easy to get that out of hand. So basically, I'm building a tool with Zach Gilbert and Jason Zook, who's the co-host of the other podcast that I have, Invisible Office Hours, and it's called Of Course Books, and it's just basically trying to solve that for people. So if you have an online course, you can use Of Course Books to share with your students, and and then they can take and make and save notes and share notes with other students to make it a bit more inner because with online courses it's kind of like you're there by yourself doing the work so mm-hmm. we're like well there's other students doing the exact same thing stuck at the exact same part yeah. so how do we make this a little more i hate to say the word but like social yeah yeah
1: yeah that's awesome okay i'd, I'd like to know more about that actually later nice um so uh you're a writer though you mean that's mm-hmm. that's uh, that's you you obviously probably have built your audience from writing (laughs) so so um what what books have you written
0: oh my goodness um my very first book was a vegan cookbook called eat awesome Ah. which i kind of published as a joke like i was trying uh, wanted to publish a book but i was like this is not like it's all nut jokes and food, and it's just it was just weird, but yeah. it ended up doing really really well. And then I think the next book was Be Awesome at Online Business, which a title that I absolutely hate, yeah. but I don't want to write a version two of it, so I'm not going to change the title. Yeah. What did I write after that? Everything I Know was the next book, which was by far my most popular book by leaps and bounds.
1: Everything I Know.
0: What? Everything I Know was the name. Oh, of the yeah. Gotcha. It's hard to follow up a book called Everything I Know. Let me yeah. tell. you. It's like um,
1: the, the history of nearly everything by Bryson. How does he follow that? Anyways, exactly. I think he did.
0: <laughs> and then I think the next book was The Good Creative. Oh. I, I think that's all of them. So yeah. like
1: in some of these hit best-selling status, right? I think
0: all of those hit all best-selling status. Well, that's, yeah.
1: That's pretty uh that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, surpri- and surprising to be perfectly honest.
1: It's it's interesting that you it sounds like those topics There, are like, you're basically taking things from your life and condensing them into a book and then selling that. Is that kind of what that, what those
0: 100% were? Yes. Yeah. That's Because yeah, I've been vegan for a while, so I wrote a vegan cookbook. I've been in online business for two decades. Kind of know a little, bit, a little bit about that. Everything I know and the good creative are more focused on like the making a living, um, doing something creative and questioning the shit out of yourself and doubting yeah. yourself and getting over it and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's all 100% stuff that I know.
1: Huh. So what's, um, what's your goal with writing? Like, what do you, what do you, what are you after? How are you trying to help people?
0: Um, I think my goal is that I can't help myself. I can't not write. So I just have to. And I think, actually, the the thing that is the biggest writing project that I've done and continue to do is my mailing list. Like, mm-hmm. I've written more words for that, because I write an article every week, no exceptions, send it out on mm-hmm. Sunday. It's good, because mm-hmm. it's called The Sunday Dispatches. It would suck if I sent it out on Monday. <laughs> it's really confusing. Yeah. But, so, I, I, but I can't help but write, and I can't help but share the... Uh, The weird things that go on in my brain. And luckily, people people like to read it. But Mm -hmm. the goals for the books was never like, I want to be a full-time author, or I want to be a full-time guy that writes books. They were just, this is a bunch of information that makes more sense as a book than anything else, so why not Mm -hmm. put it out into the world? And then when I did, and they did well, I was like, this is cool. I, do, I still don't want to do this as like my main full-time thing. But as, like I said, I, I love writing and I can't mm-hmm. stop writing. So it's a good, it's a really good outlet for that. And I'm just happy that people were like, yeah, this, this Paul guy, a couple of them were like, yeah, this Paul guy, he can write. I like reading this stuff.
1: <laughs> what advice would you give a writer who wanted to sort of replicate that type of success? Like, if they want to um you know release some books and base it off their life like what what would be the first first bit of advice that you would give them?
0: I think to start slowly, like I basically got pressured by my audience in a good way to write books, like they were asking when the book was coming out before I even started thinking about writing so you
1: books. had an audience prior
0: to- i a little bit like not yeah. nearly what it is now, but there was definitely people paying attention to mm-hmm. the writing that I was doing. I think it's probably. Very difficult to go from not sharing anything with anybody to writing a book and have it have it find success. I mean, hundred percent possible. I'm sure you could find fifty examples of that, but I think it's much harder than starting and sharing and growing a bit of an audience and then getting them interested in what you do, especially if it's um, self-reflective or introspective, that sort of thing. Then it's like you need to see you need to find the people who are going to be interested in that first. Because then it's it's way easier. Like I wouldn't know how to release and market a book without was like starting at zero for mm-hmm. for our audience. I don't think I'm not smart enough to <laughs> to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But in growing an audience and having and finding people who are interested in the types of things that I had to say, then they I know for sure these are the people who are the type of people who would buy. Th- Something from me because they're already interested in what I have to say. Right. They're already paying attention.
1: Right. So, if I, so how did you sort of kindle that audience to, to begin with? Like, how, how did you start from zero, work it work it to the point where you could you know bounce ideas or, or propose sort of book ideas to the audience, um, you know, before that actually took off? Like, how how how, how many did you have?
0: Um. Well, I start, like it, it all happened because of my mailing list. Yeah, like my mailing list is still. How did you?
1: How did you kick off your mailing list? Like, how did you start that?
0: It's, there were zero people on it. It's just like oh. everybody else's yeah. mailing list forever. I think the very first email I sent out was to sixty nine people uh-huh. total, and that was that's a funny number. I like that number, <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: but that's the magic. That's the magic number. I mean, yes. you just found it. Start with sixty nine people. Start with sixty
0: nine people. Yeah, but, but I just started like writing. Twenty thousand. Yeah, yeah, I just started writing for them. And I started, Uh like, I'm basically, somebody, my friend Justin was saying, like, Paul, you're like a tank. Because you just keep, like, you just, regardless of outcome, you just keep slowly pushing forward. So I started with zero people, and the first newsletter was 69 people, and I just started writing. And then every single fucking Sunday, for years, I wrote and I shared something with them. Uh And then eventually more people got interested and then they signed up for my list and then more people shared the things that I was writing with their audience, which is how audience growth really happens is when yeah. somebody in your audience shares it with their people. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah.
1: You said years. How long were you at that before it really took off?
0: Um, probably, probably about a year to start. Yeah. But I also had probably about 15 or 16 years of experience on the thing that I was writing mostly about, Mm -hmm. which was online business and marketing and creativity and that. So I had a fairly big pool of ideas to draw from because I didn't start writing for so long and I'd been doing what I did for so long that it was fairly easy to kind of, I don't know, to find things to write about. And I think it also helped with people... Um, paying attention, they're like, "Well, this guy's been doing web design longer than anybody else I've ever heard of <laughs> <laughs> since the dawn of the internet." Yeah. So I think that that really helped as well. But it was just like not stopping. Like yeah. I think. A lot of times there's kind of um, two mindsets for most people, but a lot of this really relates to writers. And it's that, that focus it, it, where your focus lies. Like, are you focused on either A, the process, or B, the outcome? And I think if you're focused on the outcome, it's really, really hard to keep going. It's really hard, especially if there are setbacks or mm-hmm. especially in the beginning where you're like, I want to write a best selling book. Like, I don't, I honestly, I have no idea how to write a best selling yeah. book. It's the result of a whole bunch of tiny little things going right all like sequentially, mm-hmm. but i didn't care like I was writing books because i I liked writing books. I liked the process, and it doesn't mean I wasn't stressed out or angry or like really, really anxious on launch day, but it still I did those things because I enjoyed like regardless of what happened with those books, I was happy that I wrote them yeah. and I think that's for in, in terms of longevity and making something that lasts more than a book or more than a, a month of work and then giving up, I think it's really important to, to find how you can be interested in the process. And I think that's really a matter of yep. like presence really. It's yep. really hard to be present when you're thinking about outcomes. That's funny. I was just,
1: I was just going to mention the idea <laughs> of presence. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it's hard. Like I don't know how to sit down and write, say a chapter outline. If I'm, if I'm nervous about this doing well. Right. Like it, the, the two things can't exist at the same time. I can only sit down and write if I'm thinking about sitting down and writing. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think that's a common sentiment um, in cre- with creatives who've been at it for a while. Um, I know because I went to fine art school and, and my painting teacher, he basically said you have to fall in love with the process. You have to fall in love with the journey of, of painting. Otherwise, mm-hmm. the, end, the end result, well, if you do that, the end result will take care of itself.
0: Yeah. Um, even gonna, like Bob Ross, like you look at yeah. Bob Ross painting and you're like, no, that's going to ruin it. Like he puts yeah. one big blob in the middle. Yeah. And like, What the hell, Bob Ross? But then like at 10 or 15 minutes later, like, oh, totally worked out.
1: But and people are as happy with the process as Bob <laughs> Ross. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yes, yeah, so that's that's cool, man. That's good. That's good. So. When you were building this list and, and all this writing stuff, did you have any like, big setbacks that you had to overcome?
0: Um, a lot of it was just me wanting to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. So I self-published. I suffer from that. <laughs> yeah. I self-published all of my books, even though I had offers to do traditional publishing. I said no to those. because. Why
1: did you say no? Yeah. Because I don't care.
0: Like, yeah. I would rather have control over the things that I do and be in charge of myself than have somebody else in charge and take. And honestly, I found in the conversations that I had with these publishing companies that I knew more about how publishing works now than they did, which, right. yeah, 100% right. egotistical. I, sure. I own that completely. But it felt like I should have been charging them for consulting. <laughs> And I was like, why am I going to give these people 90% or yeah. like 88% yeah. when I can do it myself? And then when I got a few books under my belt and I was making like 95 or 96% of the revenue, the rest was going to like PayPal or Stripe or Gumroad or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. why am I going to give up this big of a shit? Because that's, th- that's the only time when they come knocking is when you don't need them anymore. But you feel like, oh, this'll take me to the next level. I don't care about the next level. Yeah. (laughs) So but as well, like I just wanted to figure out like I wrote books because I wanted to figure out how writing books and publishing books and marketing books worked. Yep. So the biggest hurdle was like, okay. I've written a book. Now how do I put it into like PDF or ePub or Mobi or how do I how do I wrangle KDP especially since I'm in Canada and there's so many different mm. weird shit on Amazon mm-hmm. and withholdings and that kind of thing. So every single step of the way, I had to go from zero to learning how to do it. And that took a long time and it, it, right. it's not the smart like I know that that's not the smartest way to do it, but that's the way that I felt. Well, that's
1: why people listen <laughs> to you now. So they can yes. skip all that stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was kind of a big hurdle. The other hurdle, I think, was in the beginning. Like The reason why I didn't write for, so, for like years and years and years was like, well, I'm not a writer. Why should I be writing? And then I finally realized, like, that's stupid. Like, that's dumb. <laughs> that's really dumb logic that isn't yeah. logic at all. And we believe yeah. the stories that we tell ourselves to be true.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: And so when I finally was like, Paul, you're an idiot the only way to be a writer is to write. So how about you try that instead of telling yourself you're not a writer? And I was like, all right, I guess I can, I guess you're, and then like a week later I had the first draft of my first book.
1: Wow. That was pretty quick.
0: (laughs) It's a cookbook. It was really, it was really easy to put that together. It's also very short. I think there's maybe 25 recipes. It's not a very long cookbook.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. (laughs) It was like 170,000 fantasy epic novel. Just got busted it out in a week. (laughs) Um, so now we come to today and you've gone through all this self-publishing sort of, uh, struggle and strife, figuring it all out. And, um, when did you come upon, uh, creating online courses? Like when did writing turn into that?
0: Yeah, I think after my... Four, I guess, it was my fourth book. I had some ideas for content, and I, I I got really, really hung up on the fact that I could write the something that I felt was really helpful to people, and they would even buy it, but then not consume it. And I was like, okay, well, what yeah. can I do to help? Because I don't care. I care more about um, things being useful to people than making money off of them. I'd rather. Like if somebody emails me and says like, "Oh, your course wasn't useful," I will give them a refund. I don't care. Sure. But I was like, I don't want people to buy my stuff unless they're going to use it. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what if I do online courses? Then I can have things like saving lessons, and I can set up crazy automation sequences in in Mailchimp to to remind people if they haven't gone through the lessons in a set amount of time, and I can I can build in accountability and action into it and with the online courses i kind of got more into like teaching very specific things that made more sense to happen in video or with workbooks or with a combination of video pdf text audio so this whole kind of like every way that you can possibly learn like on a computer is was kind of covered and i felt like that would help reach more people. It was also fun to play with a different price point because my books are all, I don't know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Yeah. My courses are all like 150 bucks, 300 bucks. Yeah. So it was like it, like what's going to happen if I release something that's a lot more than the books. Yeah. And because I don't know, I'm just the kind of person that I need to find something that I know absolutely nothing about and then just kind of dive in head first and figure it out cuz I yeah. felt like I figured out how self-publishing of books worked. Yeah. And that was cool. And I obviously, I don't know everything about it, but I figured out enough to be able to do like my fourth book took almost no time compared to the first book because I'd already learned all of those skills to make it happen. Yeah. But online courses was a new thing. There's like so many more moving parts to that. So I felt like hmm, this is this is kind of interesting. And then it, it kind of worked out. Yeah.
1: How successful have you been with your online courses?
0: How do you define success? Well, this question.
1: <laughs> oh, no, uh, that's a good question. I guess there's there's obviously the, the how useful do people find it, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that's the case. But I think I think success is generally translated into dollars <laughs> for a lot of yeah. writers. And I'm not saying that's the only motivation. I'm just saying being able to you know live off of what you produce is good. So yeah. in that respect.
0: Yeah, and I think that's another kind of interesting difference between books and courses. Like, for Mm -hmm. my books, I've sold, like, for everything I know, sold over 100,000 copies. It's translated into a ton of languages. It's maybe made, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50K. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is not like, that's not bad. That's not awful by any means, but that's a lot of fucking copies to get that much money and yes. if we look at say my my like flag my main course my flagship course creative glass that has sold probably close to 2200 copies but that's made almost half a million dollars wow So, what it's
1: period of time
0: over about 18 19 months that's not too bad no like it's <laughs> it's it's ridiculous the the like monetary difference there and yeah. obviously the course was a lot more work both in terms of making it and what i need to do to market and promote it but it also pays off so much more that right. it's kind of it's worth it to me and i also find that and the other part of what you're asking with the success the yeah. like people actually use that and the best part of the course is hearing from those people because I have a gazillion automation sequences that are always running with all of that because I'm an email marketing nerd, is I hear from people all the time about what they've done after the course, like taking the lessons, translating it into their freelance business Mm. and then making like, 250 times more than they were making before or having like a six-month wait list or even today I was in that because there's a slack community obviously the slack community for everything there's a slack community for the students in the course and they hire each other which was I didn't really think about that because it's a course for freelancers and they're mostly designers writers developers and I created the course, so I'm like, well, it, or created the community because I was like, well, it would be kind of cool if they could all talk to each other and kind of figure out the lessons together. And then what I quickly realized was like, designers always need to hire writers and uh, developers, and developers <laughs> always need to hire. So they're all hiring each other all the time. And today I was talking to a few of them, and one, one lady hired, I think, three people from the course to basically build her entire business. So I was like, this is this is kind of cool, and this is like I don't even do anything. I just kind of sit back if somebody has a question, and I answer it. But I just let the students kind of talk to the, talk to each other, and it just kind of organically has grown into this like hiring each other to build all of these like much bigger, much more awesome things.
1: That's that is so great. You know what I'm hearing because the reason why I write is you know you want to instill you want to get give people talking about your work and and, mm-hmm. and inspiring debate and conversation. I think that's um, just a beautiful thing. I think fiction does that really well. Just, um, you know, people talking about the stories and such. And yeah. so what you're trying to do is really inspire community. And what I'm hearing from you is that you've taken, you know, your audience, which is, is, you know, I think the base of the platform, right? That's that without that, you know, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't be able to, to, to do these crazy big things. Ooh. But then on top of that, you totally have created a community. Um, you, you've taken that community idea even like a step further and have this like bustling sort of um, uh, area where, where people can talk about it, you know, but, but within, within your, ear, within earshot of you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which is amazing. Yeah. It's <laughs> an amazing thing because, I mean, because you get feedback for the content you produce. Yeah, you also see how badass you've made people, right? Yeah. And then, then you can reapply those principles um, in your next course, right? Yep. And then, but then uh, that's just, that's just really wonderful. It's just really wonderful.
0: Yeah. And I think I've never wanted to be the like the the like center of attention in a well I've never really wanted to be the center of attention in a group, so I would rather my audience talk amongst themselves. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like,
1: but Slack's good for that, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I don't want to be the person I don't want to be like at the top. I mm-hmm. kind of want to be in the mix. Yeah. And that's I get it. Hundred percent, the way my writing comes across—that's why yep. people say they like my writing. Yeah, so I'm not—I'm not an expert. I'm not a thought leader. I'm just like a guy that's doing the exact same stuff, and I just happen to be writing about it, and you just happen to be reading about it.
1: Right. Yeah. For people that don't know what Slack is, just real quick, uh, Slack is a is a it's how would you describe it? It's basically a chat client where people can get together in, in these rooms, these channels, and talk about various topics. And Slack is just blowing up like. Crazy. I'll link to it at the uh, podcast end, but it's uh, you know, if you're if you're technical at all, um, you've probably ran across it, and if you're not, you should probably check it out. Yeah. it's basically text messaging and crack.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> if you're technical, it's IRC, but pretty right, exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. So, can you define for me content marketing?
0: Yeah, um, well, (laughs) I say yeah really quickly, and then I'm (laughs) like, oh, shit. (laughs) So I think content marketing is just communicating with other people for a purpose. Uh So for me, content marketing is two things. The the first is that I just want to share useful information with my audience, and that's like, the majority of what I share is just free articles that I write or the podcasts that I host. It's just free, it's just out there. And then a couple times a year I'll have a product that I want to sell and then the content marketing's purpose shifts from something that is free and valuable to my audience to something that is valuable but also costs money. And that's like that's the only reason I have any revenue is because of content marketing. Like I'm the worst salesperson I'm like the least pushy guy Canadian, so I don't think I can be <laughs> so you're pushy. She's
1: the nicest person ever. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> all I can really do is write about the, the things that I make and sell. And that's really the only way that I sell the products that I make, like the books, of course, is the, the anything. And 99% of that happens on my mailing list because that's where I focus. Pretty much all of my time, I even gave this year I gave, <laughs> tried something I don't know if it's going to work out long term. it's working out short term really well, <laughs> but I gave up writing for because I have a like I guess, a standing invitation to write for lots of major publications like Fast Company, Inc, uh, the yeah. Next Web, um, Huffington Post, and I stopped writing for everybody. I just basically like across the board, I don't write for anybody anymore except from a mailing list.
1: Why that decision?
0: It wasn't doing well. For one, I wasn't doing anything for me. Like I wasn't seeing any kind of traction from writing for any of these major publications. Mm-hmm. I, all of these major publications, I think, are really just like a notch in the as seen on belt for your website yeah. for the homepage for like yeah. that banner of like you see me on all of these important places. And it's like I, credibility, sure, yeah. But I like I just don't care about that anymore. And I'm luckily I'm in a place where I can not care about that, and it doesn't matter. And what I found was that. My audience was growing in a way that I like. Basically, it was growing by people who it made sense to be part of. Best if I was sharing with my mailing list. So why use all of these other channels when all I have to do is write from a mailing list, which is what I like to do the most anyways. Mm -hmm. And then people read that, share that, and that results in the most growth in the best way for me and for my audience. So I was like, I don't even write for Medium anymore. And that's Mm -hmm. like anybody can... I don't even put any of my things on Medium. So it's, yeah. it's interesting. I, I did see a massive bump in sign-ups for the wow. first part of the year because it's like if you want my writing, it's only on my list. And if you give me your email address, then I promise that that's where my main focus is going to be and I'm going to try to give you the, the best things and the only place to get the... If you like my writing, which for some reason some people do, that's the only <laughs> place to really get it now.
1: Uh, It's it's funny how humble you are. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why people read this shit. No, I'm just kidding. I I actually love your your posts. They're awesome. Thank you. So this funneling idea, when when did you switch over to just your mailing list?
0: January. So it's pretty recent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And how did you set up that funnel? Like, How are you making sure people can get on your list?
0: Well, on... All of uh, on my site that 's pretty much the only thing you can do there's no comments there's no social media share there's nothing other than sign up for my mailing list so I found because i 'm a nerd and I do a lot of things with optimizations and a b testing every time I tested taking things out, I noticed that my mailing list signups would go up so I was like how really? if I just take that's why my my main website is like blank it's text in a sign up box because that's Converts the best. And I've tried, oh. I've played with things like modal windows and ab- like blockers or like full screen takeover, like the Sumo me welcome mat. Yeah. And uh, those don't really feel like me. So I've like I've seen some short wins for those, but I've also seen on the tail end of that, that subscribers that sign up through those means don't necessarily stick around the most or they unsubscribe or they never buy anything. So it's like, I'm just going to put the sign up at the end of an article because if I, I feel like if you've read the whole thing, yeah, you probably wanted to read the whole thing because you got to the bottom. Right. So the only <laughs> thing you can do when you get there is sign up for my list. And that tends to, because I don't care about like Numbers, I think, is a vanity metric. I care more about engagement, and I find that I get the most engaged people in my audience if I do things in a very thoughtful and mostly counterintuitive to the way other marketing people talk. Because my audience isn't a bunch of like, mindless marketing people. They're all a bunch of like, interesting, thoughtful people kind of weird people like I am so I find that if I do things in a way that makes sense to me and my brand and my personality then turn my audience respects that more and is more engaged yeah
1: that's a great way to qualify just uh putting the, the list sign up at the end yeah that's really great um but this is a recent strategy for you I mean in the beginning when you were trying to develop your audience or build it um you were you were more into outreach is that right
0: um, well, yeah, I think you kind of have to be. I think I, there's this weird, invisible tipping point where...
1: Yeah, so I want to talk about that. Where, where do you think that is?
0: Um. Well, I think it's just you have to pay attention for it. Mm-hmm. Because in the beginning, I got a lot of traction by writing for those big publications or doing tons of interviews or doing tons of guest writing, guest posting for me. Resulted in growing my audience in leaps and bounds. And then I realized after, like, I constantly look at what's working and what's not. And then I realized after a while that the things that were working for me weren't working for me anymore. So now I don't really do, I do zero syndication. I don't do, can't remember the last guest post I wrote, other than one for Web Designer Depot yesterday because I made a course on MailChimp and they have an audience that I want. Same with interviews. Like I can only do interviews now if I feel like, if I just want to do the interview. I don't think like anything past just me wanting to do it is kind of gravy so, but I had to pay attention to that because all the things that were working really, really well for me stopped. And if I hadn't been paying attention to that, I would have just kept doing all this other stuff. Whereas now I can focus on, like, just writing for my list or just producing my podcast or just making products that I know my audience wants. So, and that may that may stop working at some point, and maybe I'll have to flip flop back or try different things. But it's interesting to keep paying attention to. Not just metrics, but important metrics. Because like I said, growth
1: doesn't... What are important metrics?
0: Well, so if you think about it, like for mailing lists, if you have, say, 100,000 subscribers, but your open rate is only like 10%, then you really don't have that many engaged people. Whereas if you have a list of, say, 10,000 people and your open rate... Is like sixty percent or seventy percent, which is ridiculously high, but I still right. think that's a goal that people should aim for. Um, it, it's better, and I think that uh, it's it's like figuring out KPIs and this, yep. get a little marketing nerdy. Getting nerdy, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. But I think that like what your key performance indicators are, or what like Apple's are, are very different from mine. Like I work for myself because I want to determine like what success looks like for me, or what um, indicators I want to pay attention to, or what metrics I want to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And things like me being happy and not stressed out is really, really important to me. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's important to Apple. They just released the stupidest products. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, um, I think it's when you work for yourself, you don't have to act like the corporate, like the big companies do. And you can pay attention to like, well, if I don't have enough time to be out in my garden, then I'm doing something wrong. And like big companies wouldn't think about that. Or if I'm not making my audience genuinely excited or happy or feel like they're valued or feel like they're important to me like they are then i'm not doing something right or if they're if they don't think that the way the the content that i'm sharing with them is genuinely me then i'm doing something wrong and other people that may not matter which is totally fine these are just like right. my personal like metrics that i want to pay attention to or kpis that i want to pay attention to
1: yeah that's that's interesting you know what I like hearing there is there's like this human element to your sort of interaction with, with your audience that doesn't exist yeah. really with a corporation. Yeah. Um, and, and I, yeah, that's, that's really, I, I wonder if that's common across a lot of entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs, you know, people that generally just have mailing lists and focus on making their money off of that. If, um if, you know, if the, if that's a, a resonant theme that, you know, it's really just about the people and, yeah. that, and maybe that's, Maybe that's where we need to go because people are losing faith in larger corporations, and you know, it's all about having a real personality to identify with.
0: Yeah, um, and I think that's a scary thing to do, though, and that's I, why I a lot of people super scary. <laughs> yeah, that's why a lot of people don't. But I find that, or a lot of people are like, "Well, that's all right for you because you have an audience, you can do that." And it's like, "Well, no, that's the reason mm-hmm. why because I'm different, because I'm weird, because I write about rats and wolves and gravy, like." <laughs> All of these, that's why people don't care and even taking it back to books, like people don't really care as much about the topic. They care about your opinion and your take on that topic. It's like, I wouldn't have written a vegan cookbook except that I wanted my take on vegan cookbooks or I wouldn't have written another online business book. There are hundreds, there are thousands, there are possibly tens of thousands of business books. But the reason people bought it is because it was my, like Paul Jarvis's take on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So for beginning writers, it's cool to do the outreach thing, but, and I love, I love this cause you don't hear this often, but stay frosty. Keep <laughs> looking at what you're doing and, and don't be afraid to shift. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's really awesome. I like that. So tell me about your uh, podcast, which one, tell me about all of them. Start with one of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the, the oldest one is Invisible Office Hours, which I host with Jason Zook, and that's kind of a... and we don't have guests, and mm-hmm. I like it. We get at least four or five emails a week from people saying, I love your show. Can I be a guest on it? It's like, mm-hmm. well, you kind of never listened to the show. Same <laughs> with my other podcast is called The Freelancer. That yeah. is just me talking, which is yeah. scary, but people like listening to it. And I still get emails a few times a week like, hey, I love your podcast. Can I be a guest? It's like, well, wait, how many guests have you heard? Because it's zero on that. But so the Invisible Office Hours podcast with Jason Zook is... Just us talking about what it's like to work for ourselves and very and do very different from the norm things. Like I'm not sure if you know who Jason is, or I'll actually explain him because your audience may not. He started a business that turned into a million-dollar business by wearing companies' t-shirts. Like he was the t-shirt guy for a couple of years. Then he sold his last name, I think, for 40 or 50K for one year, and then I think 70 or 80 K for another. So he just does weird weird creative things with sales and marketing. He's, he's, he's like my internet boyfriend basically (laughs) because we spend so much time together. Right. But so we, the invisible office hours is basically just the two of us talking about what it's like to work for ourselves and with a bit of like very specific and maybe actionable stuff. But then also we have like one of our most popular episodes is where we debated the strengths and merits of zombies versus vampires So it's a little all over the place, but we are as well. And then this season, season four, is basically start to finish, us sharing what it's like to build um, a SaaS app. So we're sharing, like we're building it in real time on the show, pretty much, and sharing every single thing about it. Like there's nothing off off limits.
1: So I mean so you've obviously added this sort of to your pool of weight the way you interact with people like why podcasts like is that a good medium for people to go go and put out their stuff with
0: that's a good medium for introverted loners like me who sit, <laughs> sit alone in the woods on an island like i'm not
1: oh, I want to go we can live where you live
0: awesome. <laughs> that I sounds lo- awesome i love where i live but yeah. like i don't go to conferences i don't yeah. i turn down speaking gigs I, like i just don't care about those things i don't want to do book tours i don't really want to be out in the world and doing business i want to be out in the world traveling and not thinking about work mm-hmm. so for me things like writing a newsletter or podcasting just make the most sense like even like to get to the closest major city which is vancouver it's like six or seven hours like i gotta drive to the ferry wait for the ferry get on a boat get to the mainland drive for another hour to get to the airport it's like there's just it just just does not make sense it's not where do you live i live on vancouver island which is not vancouver the city
1: Ah, and i live in the ocean (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, it's a one in the ocean. <laughs> okay. And I live basically an hour from Victoria up into the woods on the coast. Wow,
1: that sounds pretty nice,
0: actually. Yeah, so podcasting makes sense. How do you have internet? <laughs> it, barely, but yeah. it's, it's good enough. Actually, where I live, well, I used to live about four hours away from here, and the internet was so bad I had to move, which was too bad because I loved living there. Wow. But yeah, there's at least decent internet here. But I find that. I would rather do what works for me in terms of communicating with my audience, and what works for like this is the thing that you have to do to reach your I'm like I don't care. Mm-hmm. I would just, I would podcast even if podcasting wasn't as like hot or fresh yeah, sure. <laughs> as it is yeah. now. It's just a fun. It's just a fun medium.
1: Yeah. So so whatever works for you and your personality is
0: pretty yeah. much yeah. What you recommend.
1: That's 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 cool. That's real cool. So I was on your uh, site. And I came across a post about mental minimalism. I'd like to know your, know your thoughts on that. Where were you coming, coming from when you, when you wrote that?
0: My first thought is, what the hell did I say in that? <laughs> but I, the gist of it is, because it's something I think about a lot, is that I think for myself and for a lot of creatives, we, our brains need space to be mm-hmm. creative. We can't mm-hmm. create when we're super stressed out. Or another thing is, we can't, we can't create when we give ourselves the ultimatum of this has to work or else yeah. some insert something bad is really hard to be creative when it's like my life is a failure unless this works <laughs> like i don't know how to create under those conditions yeah so and i think but as well like unless we're mindful about it our brain kind of fills up like our house be mm-hmm. w- w- like we end up taking up the space that we occupy like If you have a bigger house, you you may get a lot more things and and it may be unconscious as well. So the reason why I'm drawn to minimalism in life a little bit is because I'd rather be intentional with the things that I buy and only buy what I actually need. Mm -hmm. And then it's less work and less cost and everything else. And same with mental minimalism. I'd rather leave parts of my brain open and spacious Mm -hmm. because then when I need to make things, I'm able to. Because I don't have all of these like, things that are taking me out of the present, out of enjoying the process, into like, thinking about the outcome or thinking about this has to work. And I just think it's easier to create when you have the space to do so. And I think that's why. Because people are always like, I can't believe how much you write or how many things you make. And it's just like, oh, I just give myself the space to do it. I don't think I make a lot. But I think that given that I give myself as much space as possible, stuff comes out. There's output in some way
1: you give yourself uh you take long breaks though right
0: yeah um typically months at a time
1: yeah so that's pretty good (laughs) that's
0: a good way to give yourself that room yeah and it just i think it also helps with i think we're as a society and as a culture we're so obsessed with like um productivity and i feel like we can get too fine i have no problem with that i actually think being conscious of productivity is a cool thing. But I also think that a lot of times you can be the most productive when you just walk away. Like if I'm sitting down and I have to write all day, if I just go take a walk with my wife, then that's going to make me so much more productive when I actually come back to work than just sitting there and like slamming my face against a keyboard for two hours and then writing something that it won't end up being that good. If I need two hours to like go enjoy my life and then come back, I can probably write what I need to write in 20 minutes and it'll be good. Yeah,
1: I, I cannot agree with you more (laughs) like like people just don't i i I, i'm constantly battling people who who have like these workaholic ethics like work work
0: ethics right yeah
1: and um and i just i just know how inefficient that is because i I don't know how many times i've been stuck because my brain won't work anymore it's like my brain refuses to do something and i will just say i quit not really quit but i quit right this second and i'm gonna go do something else go take a nap whatever and um, coming back to it, it the, the answer is almost always um, either there or in the almost on the tip of being resolved. And um, you have one of the healthiest approaches to creativity I have heard, and it is refreshing. And I I, I thank you for you know putting you know for saying that
0: stuff. Cool, thank you. Yeah, yeah I just and
1: you and you're and you're, pr- you're 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 you know you're proof of it, right? <laughs> Which I guess is, so. Yeah, no, I mean, but but you are right, and yeah. and, and and it's like that, that's awesome, you know. Yeah, that's just awesome. Yeah, so, it's, it's so
0: weird that people have this, like, oh, this, like working so much is like a badge of honor. And it's right, like, yeah, I, me, I, I feel totally like I'm written. doing life wrong if I'm working all the time. It's right. just like something I, I've got to reevaluate my priorities because something's not going right. And that happens sometimes, like in the middle of a launch. I'm going to work like 12, 14 hour days, but that's going to stop when I'm done. Sure.
1: Yeah, spurts <laughs> of hard or long hours, I don't yeah. mind. Exactly. the brain can tolerate that. And in fact, it's kind of healthy. It's kind of like sprinting, right? You don't yeah. want to sprint every day, like, like literal sprinting, like running. Yeah. Your body will break down. But on occasion, it's really good for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but you want to keep things steady, steady yeah. as they go. So with this well-tended Zen garden of your mind, where are you approaching? What are you doing next with that?
0: <laughs> um, next is I don't know. Yeah. Come, that's you, the that's the right answer, right? <laughs> well, that yeah, that's the thing. Like I used to and I did this with books a lot is I would do I was basically for the first couple of years of moving from client service work to products like books and courses, mm-hmm. I would do kind of 6 months of client work and then 6 months of of writing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, some of those times I'd be planning like 6 months in advance like oh, I'm going to write a book on this and then it would start like the 6 months of writing would start and be like I even want to write this book like what am i doing so now it's just like come april for i don't know when this is going to air but come april 1st like we're recording this on the 24th of march Uh, in a week i don't know what's next like i have absolutely no idea i'm gonna get because the launch of my new course chimp essentials ends on the 31st of march so as soon as that's done i don't know what's next i have absolutely no plans i'm gonna figure it out when i get up that morning
1: yeah you know, you know what my no is your subconscious, and you just want to let it work on that so you don't have to think
0: about it. <laughs> it's percolating. There's it's percolating. definitely some ideas, but I yeah. don't care Yeah, and that's, that's, <laughs> about uh, them yet. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's
1: yeah. Awesome. So where can people find out more about you, Paul?
0: Google Paul Jarvis on the first couple pages. It's easy. Dang. My website was- is ridiculously hard to remember. It's PJRVS, <laughs> and yeah. So, if you just Google Paul Jarvis, I'm the whole first couple pages. My mailing list that I, we've been talking about mostly for this is the Sunday Dispatches. It's on my site, and yeah. if you want an article from me about rats and wolves and gravy and creativity and working for yourself, then I send out an email once a week on Sunday mornings.
1: Well, Paul, I really appreciate you you being on Bleeding Ink, and um, thank you. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Maybe until next time I'd like to talk about your next project when it finally comes to you. Cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cheers. For more episodes and giveaways, head over to www.bleedingink.fm. That's www.bleedingink.fm. If you want to help me out even more, you can go check out my book Modern Rituals of the Wayward 3 on Amazon today. And if you like what you're hearing, share the show. My goal is to get this show into the hands of as many writers as possible. So share it with your friends, your family, other writers you know, and let's make this happen. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a software guy and I make tools for writers. Check out jslauthor.com. That's for JS Leonard, jslauthor.com. There you can sign up for my mailing list, get free tools, and all kinds of awesome stuff. Thanks for listening. The ink has run dry. See you next time.